Welcome to a special podcast replay of the Hedgeye Investing Summit, originally aired on Hedgeye TV from March 19th through the 25th, 2019. We gathered some of the sharpest minds in investing to discuss the most important market trends and their implications. If you enjoy this segment, we encourage you to check out the others. Also, if you're new to Hedgeye, you qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back to day two of the Investing Summit. Today, uh, I have a focus today, okay? Generally speaking, trying to have a focus, trying to have a process here. And we're trying to get into the process of both a growth investor, long, short, and a value investor. We're going to do that first. Then I'm going to get into some analysts and how they think about ideas in the third session. But the first session, I want to tee you up with how a growth manager thinks about the market. Now, growth is something that some of you may think that you should be short of when the U.S. economy is slowing. That's only in quad four. In quad three, growth, particularly organic growth, and some of the names that Mark Shatton comes up with are the names that actually outperform by virtue of the names that have cyclical growth, like FedEx, for example, for today, uh, continue to go lower and value, in the case of FedEx, underperform. So it may not be what you think that it is, and that's the whole point of helping teach you how to use the four quadrants, and then using alpha generators like Mark uh, to, to, to help augment why it is that he's doing what he's doing or help you do what you're doing a little bit better as opposed to maybe some of the biases you may have had against growth investing. People have some biases, don't they, Mark, against growth investing? People do have their biases, yes. <laughs> Like short it because it's expensive. <clears throat> Would that be one? That would be one, yeah. yes. yes. <laughs> when a long time you've been it's doing this. Chase the hot dog. Yeah, that's, that's what we do. That is the hot, the, the hot thing to do. But I mean, look, at the end of the day, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, Want to make sure that people know where he came from. He was an army guide, uh, uh, and that's important. His discipline is born to a degree out of that. Yes, uh, sir. But went to Goldman, then to Jenison, which is one of the great <laughs> investing firms uh, in Wall Street history. I think it'd be hard to, to not make that argument with SIG and all that he's built and, and how well you did there. It's true. Um, and now you're launching your, your, your own fund and your own firm called Growthline Capital. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So Jenison, actually, it's worth putting a plug in for Jenison, uh, my former shop uh, of the last 10 years. So if you think of the, the pantheon of growth investing, right? So it, it starts with Thomas Rowe Price, right? So T. Rowe Price had this idea that, um, investing is not all built on Graham and Dodd, price to book, that companies that compound at high rates really generate returns. So he started that whole idea. Um, and the next one down on that list is Sig Segalis from Jenison. Uh, so Sig started Jenison in 1969. Uh, Howard Marks, who, who you're a fan of, called Jenison the first boutique. Uh, and uh, I, I had the last 10 years... Uh, to work alongside of a guy like Sig Segalis and, importantly, uh, invest along with that guy through the bear market of 2008 and 2009, uh, which was an experience I would have paid for. He, he wouldn't have had to pay me for that. <laughs> so I would have been happy to do that. Yeah, without, without experience, and, and again, they can be episodic, and in the case of 08, it was trending, but yeah. you infrequently have points of quad four that really hammer the growth investor. 
uh, which surprises people. The growth over a long period of time does well. At least it would surprise people that aren't um, familiar with the four quadrants, which is growth is along in quad one, quad two, quad three, and not in quad four. So 75% of the time, you want to actually know who the growth investors are and most importantly, who the best ones are. Um, so that and how they think and, and whatnot. So that 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 to me is probably news, or at least to some people that we're trying to articulate to. But to you, it's not been. You've been doing this for almost twenty years. Yeah, that's right. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Yes. I'm aging you now. Thank you. Uh, yes. we're, we're about the same vintage, Gen X. I think. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Yes. Now, why, so why did you? Why now? Like, you, why, why did you start your firm? And maybe yeah. give people some insights on that. So, you know, I, I had arguably one of the best jobs. Uh, at working with Sig Sigalis at Jenison. Uh, but about two years ago, when I crossed my second decade of, of doing this, I had that moment of, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, and the, the two people that inspired me the most in this business were my two mentors, so a guy named Herb Ellers at Goldman Sachs and Sig Sigalis at Jenison. Uh, and both of those people became who it is they were meant to be by taking that blank sheet of paper and saying, this is how I invest. This is how I see the world. This is how I generate returns. Building that portfolio and building a firm around that. So I, I couldn't, that, that idea stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two years ago, I called one of my, my good friends, my classmate from West Point, um, and just asked him, you know, if I was thinking about doing this, how would I go about doing it? Um, and as a good friend, uh, and, he, and this, this guy, Dave Walker, who's now my partner, um, he had been on the operation sides of hedge funds his whole career, mm-hmm. uh, post-Army. Uh, and his answer to me was, are you crazy? Like, don't, don't, don't go do this. <laughs> Someone else told me that once, too. <laughs> and you have the best job and, and uh, just live a comfortable life. And, but that wasn't, that wasn't what I was meant to be. Um, and what I kept seeing happening as a growth investor is we're at a phase of a transition of economies globally. As companies are making what we call this digital transformation. And there are companies that are going from $2 billion of market cap to... 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 billion dollars of market cap pretty quickly. Um, and in my, my old world at Jenison, we managed a lot of money. We had a, the good fortune of having a very successful business. Uh, and most of those companies that were two on their way to four, on their way to eight or ten, uh, were not investable for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was gnawing at me that I'm identifying and seeing all these opportunities, can't invest in those. So the combination of timing of career, of having the confidence, the experience, the skill, mm-hmm. uh, a process that I've kind of refined over, over decades, um, combined with the market opportunity said, you know, if we don't do this now, um, then we'll never do it. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting uh, uh, point. The whole um, bigger is better is a subject that we had yesterday with, with an RIA, <coughs> Dave Root, who's rolling up a bunch of RIAs. But in your case, going smaller is better because Jenison got so big. I mean, it's effectively a big cap growth shop at this point. Yeah. Page one holders, for those of you that don't know, pick up any growth stock that's actually worked, and you're probably going to find Jenison in the top 10 or 20 shareholders, would you not? That's right. Yeah, so, so that crowds you out of being able to find, or be, you know how to find them, you're just not, it's not going to make a difference in your portfolio. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So big cap growth investing is, is ultimately where what it became. But, but Jenison wasn't always that way. Ostensibly, they, their stocks were smaller and Jenison was smaller. Well, it's relative to the market opportunity that's out there, right? Right. So as, the, as Jenison grew, the market grew, so market caps grew as well. Um, but what, what's happening now is the opportunity of smaller companies to very quickly become yeah. larger companies is like nothing we've ever seen mm-hmm. before. And it's really because 
you know, information spreads a lot faster. I mean, if you think of you know, how, how do businesses change, how do economies grow, you know, historically you needed to find out what that good idea that was being done somewhere else. Mm -hmm. you know, the Industrial Revolution started in the U.S. because someone you know, stole the plans to the steam engine and snuck on a ship and came over to the U.S. and whammo, you have the Industrial Revolution. It took a long time. Um, but today, there's, there's very little barrier globally because information and businesses can become instantly global. Mm -hmm. So you can look at Facebook as, a, as an example. Yeah. Right? It took them 10 years to get 2 billion users. No one it's else amazing. has a billion anything. Yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah. And, and you also have, uh, you could say the other side of information is a short seller. You know, yeah. every short seller that thinks that they've got it figured out starts with valuation. Yeah. Or I should say a lot of them. That's a, a key component to how <laughs> Captain Short Seller comes out there. He says, well, this stock's expensive. It's too expensive. It's crazy. Um, you could also substitute that for, I've not been long and I've missed the move, right? So you have a lot of people, you know, perfect information is brought in that business school student yeah. or that person who's purist on valuation and brought the short interest high faster That's right. That's right. in names that have gone from 2 to $5 billion, and then they could go to 10 Part of the move could be they just have to cover their shorts. But again, at the end of the day, the, the companies do have to deliver the wood. They have to deliver the growth story. Yes, yes they do. Yes. So that's um, it's a really interesting thing. I, I wanna, so I want to get into uh, your process. You know, yes. the, the process, you're not going to be shocked to get into process. And again, for those of you that are, 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 are listening to this, what we want you to do is invest with people that have great, repeatable process. A lot of people have great ideas. That doesn't mean they have a great process. So again, Mark has a great process. It's been battle tested. You could look at his returns while he was a Jenison. They speak for themselves. Uh, begin. But what is your process? That's a really important thing to ask anybody, whether they're an independent research provider, in my case, or in Mark's case, somebody that you're allocating capital to, uh, your hard-earned capital at that. So you want to believe that they're going to execute on what it is that they believe in. And if they believe in it, that it's probably because it works. Um, so can you, can you just get into um, growth cycle investing? What yes. is growth cycle investing? Yeah, yeah. Because I think, well, I don't know if you made it up, but it's, uh, to me you made it up because to me you're the first one to explain it to me, and it made perfect sense. So the term growth cycle investing, I did make that up. You did? <laughs> Good. I make stuff up all so the time. So <laughs> essentially what I needed to do was to say, can I create a, a phrase that captures what I've been doing and what I do do and what is this process that, we've, that I've developed over a couple of decades and has worked for me. Um, so a process starts with a philosophy. Right, so you have to begin with some some grand idea, and in, in, in stock investing, it answers the big question, right? Which is how do I make money in stocks? Right, so William O'Neill wrote a book about that decades ago, right? How to make money in stocks. So, but that's how a process has to begin. You have to answer that question. So, the foundation for me to answer that question is the idea that wealth is created through the long-term ownership of a growing business. Right, that's, that's, for me, that's the answer of that question, how to make money investing in stocks, is find a company that compounds at high rates over long periods of time and participate in that. And if you think of the Forbes 400 as an example, the richest people in America, every person on that list is the beneficiary of owning a business that compounded at high rates over long periods of time. Right, so you have Zuckerberg and Bezos and all of Sam Walton's kids. I think there's six Waltons uh, that some of them are very near the top still from Walmart. He's higher um, than uh, than some famous short sellers. Uh, shocking, right? Or, <laughs> and, and what you what you don't find are people who are clever, right? You don't find people who are speculators, traders, and maybe once in a while someone gets lucky and they pop up. Um, but that's not a repeatable process, yeah. right? Identify a growth company or own one, even better, uh, participate in that over time, and that 
creates your wealth. And that's what we seek to do in the stock market by owning a piece of that. So that's the beginning, how you say, okay, now I have an idea of how to make money in stocks. Can I create a process that helps me identify and own pieces of those companies called mm-hmm. stock certificates? Uh, and so my process really is, there's, there's two pieces of it. There's the art and the science. So the core of the art part of my process revolves around this adoption curve. Right? It's called the S-curve. Like People have come across it in business school or in college or maybe you've seen it in a magazine or a TV show or right here on Hedge ITV. Uh, you, may have seen, you may have seen that somewhere. But that, that's the core of that part of my process is mapping companies along that adoption curve. And that's how I view the world. I look at every company that's interesting to me uh, based on where they are on that S-curve. Um, and that S-curve, I mean, you have all probably seen it before. You know, It starts at the very bottom with the innovators, and then you have the early adopters. And then as it begins to round the curve, you have the early majority, and then the late majority, and eventually the laggards. But every growth company goes through that cycle, everyone. So it took Coca-Cola 100 years to go up that S-curve. Right? And now it's in decline. Carbonated soft drink. Well, Coca-Cola's not in decline because they're doing new things like, you know, mm-hmm. like like cannabis, right? <laughs> they're looking at it, right? No, but, uh, CSD but CSDs are, yeah, are declining. It used to be a growth stock. Now it's and a mature no, stock. It's right. a value stock. It took Facebook 10 years to, yep. go, to go do that. So I, I map every company based on that. And, I, and I'm agnostic. Don't care about um, the sector, the industry, where S&P tends to put them, the market cap. The, where they happen to be domiciled, or even the PE, which we'll talk about in, in a minute as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what I care about, and this is sort of the core of growth cycle investing, are three big questions. Right? The, so the first question is, what is the total addressable market that this company is going for? So the size of the prize, if it moves up that curve successfully, how big is that? That's question number one. Like, mm-hmm. is, that, is, that, is that worth it to go up and try to get that? And the second is, What's the likelihood this company will be one of the ones to go up and do it? Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's question number two. And then the third question is, if they do it, what does it look like when you get there? Mm-hmm. Is it defensible? Is someone going to come right behind you and knock you off? Does it have high returns? Or are you continually reinvesting you know, to, to just stay in place and never, actually never get to harvest? We call that profitless prosperity. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so those are the three big questions. Or a nice chart. Or, or a nice <laughs> chart, right, which, which then can become an interesting short opportunity. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and the reason that's art is because that's a judgment. Right, so that the ability to say this company will be a winner and that one not so much, um, that comes with trial and error, pattern recognition, investing in growth companies for decades with real money having to live with the consequences of getting that right or getting that wrong. Right. Um, so I, I like to say that's something that you probably can't teach to someone, but it's something you can learn. And when you say patterns, that, that's fully loaded with behavioral patterns, which matter big time, because you, you're vetting, constantly vetting constantly. what management team, what founder, that's right. um, that's what, right. what are they telling you, what have you heard before from other management teams? You know, there's a sneaky uh, you know, suspicion to some people, and it's for a good reason. You know, they're full of it. That's right. right. You know, so you, you, you go through that enough times, and you know, just like any fractal pattern, there's self-similarity to the, to, the, to the winners, and there's certainly self-similarity to the losers, I would imagine. <clears throat> that, that, that's exactly right. So yeah. you're, you're making a judgment on the answer to those three big questions based on all of these patterns that you've seen okay. over the years. And that's, that's 
that's skill, but more importantly, experience. Yeah. Right. So that, that's that's the art side, and the science side is okay. Now I've identified someone that answers these three big questions, mm-hmm. um, and I think the answer is yes. Well, it's like quantified art, though. Like you're not just yeah. like you know nilly willy, hmm, you know, opining on what these. Oh, that's right. Be, right. That's right. No, 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 no. For sure. For sure. Right. This yeah. is. <laughs> you're a, building a model. You're you know, you're right. building out the market share. You know, viewpoints, that's, et cetera. Well, and that's where you get to the science part. Right. So so yeah. then I say, okay, I got this. I, this company that I think is going to do this. It's going to go up this curve, capture that TAM, and it's awesome when they get there. Now what do you do? It's like, well, now you've got a stock. So is that a buy or a sell or a hold? Like, what do I do with that? Um, so now you need a framework, right? So this is the transition um, from strategy to tactics. Like, mm-hmm. So you, know, you mentioned my, my military background. So uh, you know, at West Point, we would study strategy a lot and tactics a lot. And there's a big difference that a lot of people kind of conflate the two. Yeah. Uh, and so strategy, just in the military framework, that's how you win the war, right? Tactics, that's how you win the battle. Right? But you gotta win the battles to win the war, and you need both, right? You can't have one or the other. Sometimes people are totally focused on strategy, sometimes people are totally focused on tactics, but you really need both. Mm-hmm. So the big strategy is this growth cycle investing framework that I talked about, you know, the size of the prize, likelihood it moves up, and you know, what does it look like when you get there? The tactics are, okay, now, this is to what you were speaking of, let me model out project the financials of that company as far into the future as I can with some degree of confidence. So for most companies, that's typically three to four years, because beyond that, it's just a bit of a wild guess. Um, what that essentially modeling is, is the path the company moves as it moves up that S-curve. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometime in that future, that farthest out point, three or four years, I say, okay, now I have an image of what I think that company looks like, if they're reasonably successful moving up this curve in the next three or four years. Then I say, okay, at that point in time, what is that worth? Now, this is where it gets contentious, mm-hmm. right? So you and I can argue about this, right? So, you know, if we look at lots the, of opinions, the, lots of opinions, right? The, <laughs> the characteristics, you know, the, the market that they're still going after, the success they just had, kind of the provability. We could argue a lot about what is that 10 times sales? Is that 20 times EBITDA? Is that 30 times earnings? But I bet we can agree on a range, right? We will get to some range. And maybe it's a wide range, but we'll get to some agreement on a range. So I create that range somewhere three, four years out in the future. Once I have that, now I have an endpoint. And I just map that range back to where we are today. Along the S group. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's what that is. How fast yeah. is the company moving towards your target versus, you know, how much longer could it potentially take? Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like a big fat arrow moving up into the right. Yeah. Uh, and now I can just map the stock versus that range. Now I know where I am versus where I think I should be going. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the science part, and that's just the repetitive process of map it on the S-curve, project it, figure out what that range looks yep. like in the future, and bring it back to today, mm-hmm. map the stock versus yep. that. Now that's, um, so I'll just uh, draw that for, because you mentioned it more than enough times at this point. Guys, could we get um, just a nice clean sheet of paper? So we have an S-curve. There it is. Um, I shouldn't have added my own little drawings there. Um, but ostensibly, you're saying, okay, any, any company, whether they're lying to or the next Amazon, starts here, right? And you'd like to sell it here. In fact, you'd like to sell it and then potentially short it there. That's right. So yeah. the only question, or the biggest question, is how quickly do you move up this curve, which you call, and uh, I've seen your new beautiful growth line presentation, how quickly do you move you know, up this part? <clears throat> now, if you were to, um, what, are, what are the phases in here, by the way, Mark? You have phases that you, you named. Yeah, so I, I created essentially three different, um, you know, three different life cycles of of where this company will move through. So the lower half, and the lower half, I called venture, 
Okay. Right. The middle half uh, I call emerging. The middle third, I should say. And then the upper is is uh, maturing. Um, so th th this is yeah. separated basically right. in thirds? That's right. So in here, you're basically venture. Uh -huh. In here, you're what? Emerging. Emerging. And here, you're maturing? Maturing, yes. Okay. Not mature. Okay. Maturing. Okay, cool. Um, so this is... And in venture, you know, actually, and that's what's happening in the, in the private market, is that the market caps, like you say, they go from 2 to 5 to 30 in the case of what, wherever they're going to bring Uber, they could be at 100 by that's the right. time you get them. <clears throat> that's right. Um, so there's a huge game within the game that's going on uh, in this mosh pit. Yep. And that is pro-cyclical, you know, yep. but it's also based on where we are in terms of technological change, which is ma your main premise here. That's right. Is it, yeah, you could be on you know, bullish cycle, 10 straight quarters of economic growth in a row, which is pretty, well, first yeah. of all, it's a U.S. record. Um, but you also have a lot of technological change. That's right. So that's where this, this is why you're saying that this area is so fervent. It, 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 it's a great area. It's, there's a high failure rate down there. Yeah. Um, and as you and I have Do you talked... Have, is there like a number you could put on that? Like how many companies are full of it or <clears> fail? <throat> relative, like we yeah, call yeah. them the F-squared model. Um, <laughs> I, 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 should, I should do that. I, I don't know. <laughs> but, 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 but the F-squared model, that sounds good. We'll, but but we'll by the time they get in... If you, were, if you could, you would obviously yeah. own everything in there or, or back here. You know, within the, you'd own the company, like you said. Yeah. You'd be like maybe this hedge-eye guy, this crazy guy. You, know, you just buy it. You, you own the st all of it. You that's, know? Right. That, that's where you'd ideally own it. Um, but... Can't you make a lot of money by like actually being late and buying it here or here? Absolutely, yeah. So companies that move up, they have a higher failure rate as they're in the venture stage. And so when you're down in, the, I call and I just kind of created these names. The the venture stage means the TAM is starting to come into focus. Okay. Right. And TAM is total addressable market yes. for you guys that don't know that. Thank you. Yeah. So the TAM, the total addressable market, is beginning to come into focus with what's addressable with these companies, with what they have right now. Right. Um, so, for instance, um, blockchain, Bitcoin. It's very interesting to me, but it's not investable right now because I don't know the TAM. I don't know what we're going to do. I think we're going to do really interesting things with that, and companies will make a lot of money doing that. Um, but I can't figure out that TAM. This is exactly yeah. what Neil Howe said yesterday. He said, I, it's cool, I, I, I like the technology, but I can't, unless you can show me, right. there's, no, there's no total addressable market here that's been validated yet. We don't know what that is. And just saying yeah. it's cool isn't an investment, correct? That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> then it's a science experiment or a hobby. Whereas right. with cannabis, <laughs> like you can, you can ask Shane Laidlaw and yes. Howard Penny, the bingo, they'll tell you right away what they think that the minimum total addressable market that's is, right. and yeah. what the, the blue sky could be, which is a lot higher. So yeah. you're starting with something. So that's where you're starting when, you're, when you yeah, get out Cannabis there. is down there right now. Yeah, cannabis. Is, so, is, so we're you, doing work on that now. So you yeah. put, and I've seen your presentation, but you, you have a, a series of things that are, which we can get into in a minute, yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that are interesting growth opportunities at the sub-subsector level that's right. of growth, yes. right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you bucket it, and then you go from there. Yeah, that's right. right. And so when you, when you move up the curve, so emerging... So this is where now emerging's the, here. Yeah. Emerging's in the middle. This right? is this part. Right. Yeah. So now you have a whole lot of companies that are competing for a clearly defined TAM, um, but now you're getting down to a handful of, of winners and maybe some losers. Yeah. So an, an easy example to think about uh, in that in that bucket right now is uh, like restaurant delivery, mm. right? So yeah. there's, you know, there's one public company is Grubhub, another one's coming soon is DoorDash, and Uber Eats is out there, and uh, Postmates is there's. There's a handful of companies. We know that TAM now is very well established. You know, mm -hmm. that, you know, the growth of that industry is 50% right now. It's growing like, growing like mad. As people have got, become accustomed to, I want my 
movie theater brought to me by Netflix, I want my mall brought to me by Amazon, and I want my restaurant brought to me by Grubhub, DoorDash, someone else. <laughs> like, I don't want everyone to leave my house. Like, yeah. This is where I want to be. Um, Neil Howe probably has some interesting stats on that. It's for millennials versus Gen Xers like us. Um, and, and so now you have a handful of companies that are fighting tooth and nail for this big prize that's uh -huh. out there because this is a scale business, right? We know what those look like when you get scale network businesses at size, right? So this is a big fight. Um, when you move up to the maturing growth, now you have dominance, mm -hmm. right? You still have great growth in front of them. So think of, yeah. you know, there's still wonderful growth in front of us. Think of uh, Facebook as an example, which might be a bit controversial, or PayPal uh, is, a, is a fun one to talk about. That's, you know, they are now the winner, um, and you're looking ahead as, what is the compounding growth of them as they continue to move up that curve, which can happen for many years? Mm -hmm. um, now, something that, that so these, yeah. that's important in the M phase, yeah. the duration, you know, the duration can. There are many different um, lengths of time that that can last. That's right. That's right. right. I mean, and all these curves, to be clear, have different compression and duration. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that's where I mean, that's actually where you start to find some shorts at the end of that story. Yeah, because what happens is, as companies move up this curve successfully, um, for whatever it is they do, when they get to the top, when they get near full penetration, they're almost always priced as if this goes on forever. Yes, exactly. Right? Uh, well, now everybody yeah. owns them. I mean, it's. A, I mean, I could name a few. I'm not going to get into my ideas on this, but I know what my analysts' ideas are on this. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, once you get into that, this is where the happy hunting begins as a short seller. Let's just change the color, okay? In here is where, because if you get any kind of a deceleration that you start to project as a right. long-term decel, a long-term degradation in terms of cash flows, revenue growth, that's what I'm looking as a short. <clears throat> I, that's what I only look for as a short seller, to be clear. Yeah. You know, so, so it's, but it's still just reversing what you like. It's the same framework. It's the same process. The tactics are just different. Right. Right. Again, there's a difference between strategy and tactics, and, and that happens all the time. Yeah. So but, if, if this is if this is time, yeah. then really your shorts are you have them in here. This is happy, you know, short selling. Whereas you got this big block of time where there's plenty of opportunity to squeeze the shorts. That's exactly right, yeah. yeah. Or screw up, where you buy a company that is a venture company that's lying to you. And, and you get it wrong. Yeah. Right? Okay. Right? And then you move on and find the next one. Yeah. So we, we like to say you, you don't have to own every stock that goes up. <laughs> Just make sure the ones you do own go up. Yeah. <laughs> so, you learn some of these so, things from SIG. Like, basic, I, I, right? yeah, you can let, those, let the other ones go. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, that's, that's, exact, that's, a, that's a good depiction of the framework. Um, on, just because uh, I want to get a lot of questions that are coming in now. Um, on some of these, uh, I guess, would you call them trends? All the, you know, if you think of all the different topics that you yeah, guys are Yeah, trends or themes. Themes, yes. trends or themes. Yeah. Um, you want to go through maybe a, a, you already mentioned one, which is uh, food delivery. Yeah. Like, yeah. maybe rattle off, like, half a dozen. Because you have, I don't know, how many do you have? Like 18, 25? Oh, God, we have, we, have, we have a lot. And what we do is we just keep putting some on um, as, we, as we come across new ideas that are interesting. I mean, one of the things people ask... That's the thing. Like, everybody, this is America until somebody right. changes it. Who knows? Um, right. But, you know, in here, there's a lot of Americans coming up with new stuff. All the time. All the time. I mean, some, <laughs> some people ask, like, you know, how do you find ideas? And I, I like to, to joke, it says... Walk around with your eyes open and be curious, and say why? Why is that happening? Yeah. You know why? Why is that stock going up? Or, you know, I, I have three teenagers, and you know we were we were looking at Canada Goose as an as an example, and I asked my son about Canada Goose, and 
because uh, I saw a lot of you know a lot of people in the school had and said you know, Davis like, you know I'm thinking about Canada Goose what do you think and Davis says Dad says, you got to buy the stock <laughs> <laughs> he's 17 right? so so why he says because every kid in my school has one yeah and I said Davis who's going to buy one next year <laughs> oh yeah Dad you got to short this stock. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's, uh, uh, but it's, it's yeah, Canada Goose. When like being Canadian, there is something yeah. special about walking around doing meetings with you know guys like you. Yeah, door to door. I'm just wearing a suit, and I see uh, a significant amount of New Yorkers on a day that's 40 degrees wearing full fur, faux fur, faux fur. <laughs> uh, like their cult. You know, yes, it's, it's yes. like, and then, and then you knew what was going to happen next. At the next Super Bowl, some rapper's going to come out with full, real deal fur. Right? Yes, and, yes. And, and that, Every time, yeah. But those jackets, they might cost you a little bit more. Those, those, those <laughs> may cost you a bit more than, the, a, a lot more than the Amazon jacket, which is competing with a full, a full make. Yes. Yeah. So, so within these, uh, I interrupted yeah, so, you. I, yeah, so things, um, I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of interesting things down there. So um, you think of, you know, mobile broadband, right, which is sort of 5G. Yeah, five G. That's epic. I mean, and this is this is coming. Yeah, right. And this will change a lot of a lot of how we do things. Is that the back half of this year even? Like uh, 5G? So the first, I mean, Verizon and AT and T are working, you know, feverishly to get it out. Um, yeah. So we'll start to see the first deployments back half of this year. Is what they say. Yep. Uh, so, but you know, we'll we'll see. But when you have this is a, a structural change in having broadband wherever you are, whenever you need it, whenever you want it, much more reliably. Right, so there's all kinds of things that will change. Maybe that enables autonomous driving, which is one of these trends that we're looking at. Yep. So that's one at the very bottom where we're trying to figure out what is that TAM? What's the real TAM of that? Right now we don't know. Um, will 5G enable that and make that into something uh, that's investable? So a lot of these things yeah. can be interconnected and perpetuate the others. In, in many cases yep. they are. Right? Yep. So you know, down, down there you have you know, the gig economy. Right? We're, to we're talking about Uber and you know, Lyft is going to, you know, the road show is happening right now uh, for their IPO next week. Right? Yep. So is, you know, we're, we're changing the structure of employment. Right? That's a fascinating area to invest in. Right? And, and that creates a whole other slew of problems like you know, how do I provide benefits? You know, how do I get health care insurance, right? That's interesting. Does that make, uh, you know, a PEO company interesting? You know, yep. and so there's, there's all kinds of different offshoots of that. Um, so you have things, electric vehicles is one that we talk about a lot. Uh, so, you know, this is, you know, we're in still inning one and a half mm. of the penetration of electric vehicles. Um, as, as, you, as you know, at my previous firm, uh, we were a very large shareholder in Tesla, which was a bit contentious. Um, but Tesla, in 2013, when we were beginning to accumulate the shares, um, this was at the bottom of this S-curve. Yep. But it answered my three big questions. Right? It answered, what's the TAM? Right? Well, 100 million cars sold per year. Um, Tesla's trying to get to 50,000. That's five basis points. Like, if the car is good, if it works, they'll probably get that. Right? At that, that much at least, right? Massive TAM, right? That they're going after. They're this is back in 2013. This yeah. is in 2013, yeah, yeah. right? And so we went out and visited and saw this Model S and it was an incredible car. So this is, you know, if this car works, it's better than most of the other cars that are on the road right now. People are going to want this and it happens to be electric. Uh, so the stock was $50 uh, back then. And this is one if you asked your yeah. son, is that a cool car and how many of the kids at school's parents have it? Yeah. They couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. Yeah. Now they all have one, right. and they're used. So I mean, EVs are fascinating. That's, yeah. that, that, it's a big topic. It's yeah. a big topic. Are you going from one and a half percent of cars today being produced that are electric? Yeah. You know, and there's lots of different estimates just based on on kind of how that grows over time. But that'll be five, six, seven percent over the next you know five or six years, we think. 
Uh, and there's lots of interesting opportunities to invest along that that may not be Tesla, mm -hmm. by the way. Uh, so the, yep. who, who are the arms dealers to electric vehicles? You know, we, we look at lithium companies as, mm -hmm. as an example, as an arms dealer to who makes electric vehicles. Like ALB, work. for example? Uh, ALB, or there's a smaller company called Livent, who's a yes. spinoff from a chemical company called FMC. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one that we spend a lot of time it's on. It's interesting. Right now. Like I say this to Van Skyver, who I'll, t I'll have yeah. on later today. Yeah. Um, if I look at the trend signal, because, you know, I have a risk management process for this as well. Yes. And the trend signal, if it's, if it's, it could be bearish on Tesla, but I could have a basket of 12, 12 oh, names sure. that are plays on EV yes. that are all bullish. Yeah. So it's an amazing, like you get games within the game and early games as opposed to the consensus game that people have. That's, I mean, to me, like your world becomes more interesting uh, as you talk about it more. As each, each layer you unravel, and so you can begin with the thesis on EVs that you know, 10 years from now, yeah. EVs will be you know, five to seven fold the size of the market today. Of the actual EV market. Of the actual EV market. Right, yep. right. That growth rate of all the things that you need to make electric vehicles work, a lot of things are going to break yeah. in that. To, to grow, like the lithium industry has to, has to keep up with that. Yeah. Um, that that's hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, this is, you know, big mining, right? It's really difficult to get this stuff out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, you know, there's a lot of it. I think lithium is number three in the periodic table. It's, it's in the earth. <laughs> it's in seawater. <laughs> you, can, you can get a lot of it. Uh, but the process of getting it, processing it, Putting it in the in the format that you need to make a lithium yeah, compliant format for EV. Right, right. So there's an example of, of an arms dealer who I don't they don't care which EV wins. Right. They just know this industry is growing. So like EV that. would fit uh, where on this curve? Like yeah. So rounding the curve right there, rounding the curve at EV the bottom. EV would be yep. Uh, yep. right in here. Yep. Right. Like yep. the so you're coming out of the yeah, venture you're, you're into You're going the, from the what's called the early adopters to the early majority. Right. Is that's that's yeah. where we're heading, uh, or, or at least uh, help help with his how he looks at the world. He basically puts every one of these sub growth uh, topics along the S curve. Uh, then has then you have your companies on the S curve too. That's exactly right. Uh, one because uh, I, I do want to get to some questions. You mentioned <coughs> PayPal. Where does PayPal yeah. fit on the S curve? Just putting a stock on the S curve. Yeah. So I, I would put a pay, right where you have the dotted line between E and M. Okay, so now we know what yeah. EV is kind of in here, yep. and PayPal, which is digital from, transactions, right? Is gone from right payments there. and right. digital transactions right. is there. Okay, right. what's the ticker on PayPal again? PYPL. Okay, so we can put every ticker and every subtopic of growth along this S curve. That's right. Okay, cool. That's right. Yeah, and there's there's one where the TAM is massive, right? It's digital transactions, right? That's, that's, that's a big thing, right? Yes, as, yes. as the world goes from pa Large. paper to digital, right? So you, you, it's, it's fascinating if you look at the, you know, the percentage of the U.S. that's digital versus Europe. So Europe is 10 to 20 years behind the U.S., and Asia is 10 to 20 years behind Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, just to, if you think of what's the long-term structural path of mm. digital payments. Uh, and ever, ever since PayPal did the... Uh, uh, they, they had the, the great peace deal with all the credit card companies when they split off from eBay. So PayPal used to be owned by eBay. Mm -hmm. um, and they spun it they off. They spun it off. And before PayPal... Did you guys buy it when they did that? Or was that... Like uh, so that was in my former former life, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. allowed to say that, right? Yeah, that's I mean, it's public information. That, that's true, yeah. yeah. We were running public mutual funds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, because 
now you had an independent company that could then go make peace with all these credit card companies. Uh, and I, I call it, when they, when they signed this great deal with, with you know, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, saying we're no longer at war, we're going to enable each other yes. uh, in this future growth, it's, I call that the Netflix moment. And so Netflix, I think it was in 2013, uh, may, I may have that date wrong, they, they had that big deal with Disney. Right, and so you know, Netflix was struggling. Everybody said this is a fantastic service; could be a great, you know, great benefit to me. But the content stinks; like they just don't have enough good stuff yet. Um, and then Disney said, "Let's let's do a let's do a deal, and you get all of the new content that we do for you know, I think it was three or four years." Uh, and then all of a sudden, Netflix became Netflix because now it's compelling. Now they have real content that I want to go, and my kids will watch the cartoons or the, you know, the Pixar shows that are coming out. Um, now you have real content. PayPal had that moment yep. when they made the peace deal with all the credit card mm-hmm. companies, and so from here they become the default for digital commerce, uh, and that gives them many years of growth. Ahead with of growth them. components too, people don't know what what they've created within PayPal. Too. Oh well, so Venmo is a fascinating part of it. I mean, yeah, everyone a, here, like Venmo me. And I'm like yes. Gen X guy, and I'm like, you have I got a lot cash. of millennials here, right? Yes, I have cash, yes. and they want to do Venmo. But I mean, this is like, yeah. this is where the world's going, obviously. Yeah, and they're very secretive about the financials of Venmo. Yeah. And so we've been trying to figure out, you know, it's probably, you know, it costs them maybe 10% of their earnings, we think. Um, it's, it's hard to, to pinpoint that number because they won't tell you. Um, and what would that be worth on its own? Yeah. You know, about 15 to $20 billion on its own. Wow. Uh, if it were just independent. That's, it, that's a guess. I don't know the numbers. So I'm guessing based on the transactions that they tell you uh, mm-hmm. what, what we think that's worth. So, so do you, does that happen frequently where uh, I assume it was the same uh, analysis or just metaphorically Facebook with Instagram? They're not going to give you all the Instagram numbers, but you know you, if you could be long, just only yeah. be long Instagram, which they bought. Yeah. You would. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so does that happen a lot where you get these companies <coughs> that are entering, they're going from E to M, and not ironically, they do have to buy companies that are down in here. That's, that's right? so common, right? So you, Facebook is a great example, right? It's five companies. Right? People don't think of Facebook as five companies. Exactly. Right? It's core Facebook, right, which is maturing. They're not adding users, but there's still tons of use cases and monetization for them to do. Right? Then there's Instagram, mm-hmm. right? Then there's WhatsApp. And there's Facebook Messenger, and then there's the, the one that people don't talk about much is their, their virtual reality, augmented reality business called Oculus was an acquisition that they made as well. And each of these are at different phases of their own life cycle. So good management teams think in maybe instinctively about where they are on this curve. Yeah. And they know that their core business is going to be hit hitting that later stage, and they need more if they want to have, keep mm-hmm. having a growth. Which, which uh, you know, in particular when U.S. growth is at the peak of an economic cycle, which it was in the third quarter of last year, uh, you can see that, you know, money's flying all over the place and these transactions are happening faster because the companies are insecure to a degree that the next up-and-comer becomes them, so why don't they just buy them before that happens? That's right. So, again, it's, it's, it's where you got these mega caps, ostensibly, as opposed to just big caps and growth. That's exactly right. Yeah, because they're buying growth. They're buying this <clears throat> down here before you can buy it. And which is what <laughs> Facebook did with Instagram, is your, to your example. That's exactly what they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love this framework. Um, all right, let's get into some questions. Uh, uh, actually, I, 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 before we take questions, um, shorts. Yes. Okay. Your strategy, this, is, this, this fits over here, too. That's right. So um, maybe one short that you know, fits the profile. I'm assuming it's nothing like PayPal or electri- it, electric. It's not, cables. although there are. You know, <laughs> what happens is, is, is if you think about that framework, um, you find companies that are 
so f- you remember that big fat arrow moving up and to the right. Yeah, right? This TAM. is this is the this is the value TAM of, of how I think this company grows over time. You do find companies that are just so far above it. Um, there's there's even though they're they're growing really fast and they're going to move up that curve, you can't make money in the stock, right? So like I was a, a shareholder of Splunk. You may know yeah. the company Splunk, fantastic company. Um, stock peak, I think it was in February of fourteen at $106, because everything just went great. Like This is this is a company that does their buzzword. Everybody has a buzzword in growth companies, right? Big data analytics. Yeah. Right? It sounds sexy, right? It's really, really cool. Uh, they were, it was fantastic. They were early innovator, creating this whole end market, growing like mad, you know, 50, 70%. Uh, the next four years, the stock was between 40 and 70. Yeah. And they never missed a number. Right. They they beat and raised. The street just priced it all. They in. priced it all yeah. in. Right. Yeah. So you do get some of those, but in the cases that you're talking to here, you find short opportunities of companies like you know that are rounding that turn at the top, but priced as if it goes on forever. So um, an example that that we've talked about is Texas Roadhouse. It's a great restaurant chain. I actually I've eaten there. I like it, um, and they offer a great deal for their customers, like about seventeen dollars. Uh, for a steak dinner, that's, that's pretty good. That's right? about as cheap as it gets. That's, that's about as cheap, and, and it's, it's decent. It's decent food, and, and it's been a beautiful executor. Now they have 540 restaurants. Um, there's, I think, only three casual dining restaurant chains that have hit a thousand. Right? That's there's sort of a, a difficulty when you just think of Tam, right? What's the size of the market that they're addressing right. in competition? So they're starting to near the top of there at the same time they get this massive cost pressure. So wages are beginning to rise, so their margins are getting squeezed a bit. So you have a company that is peering over the yeah. over the cliff. But Your cliff is the S-curve. Is the S-curve, <laughs> but priced it. as if it, it should go on forever. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that creates an interesting short opportunity. Yeah. So there's be many of those, too. Tons I mean, this is, I think yeah. you'll do better with this because Jenison, of course, didn't short stocks. No. Um, but, I mean, you can not only short the stocks that you would have sold because they're no longer you know, fitting your profile and they're entering the wrong <laughs> part of the S-curve, or you can just have outright shorts. Which, or just the ones to avoid. Right. When, when you think of this framework, there's so many companies at the bottom Yep. that are trying to make it up to the top, mm-hmm. almost all of them won't make it. No. Right? There's exactly. a lot of interesting short opportunities. Yeah. And I, what I also love about your strategy, and I finally am going to get to your question, is <laughs> that most hedge fund guys are so smart. Like, they're value guys. Yeah. That's the smart. You know it's cheaper than everybody else. Yes. But how many hedge funds are outright growth investors that can articulate the process that you just did and have? And capitalized, most importantly, on the big growth run we just had for the last two and a half years. And then understood during quad four at the lows to buy all those things back because in quad three they work too. I mean, these. I think it's a really good time to be doing what you're doing. Um, and you don't have a lot of competition, whereas in the value space there's, there's a tremendous amount of competition um, in, in terms of how hedge funds run long short. Uh, questions? All right. Um, Let's see. Uh, well, there's a lot of comments. As soon as you start making comments about stocks, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it possible to see your growth cycle investing presentations? Do, or do you have to be a, probably have to be an institutional investor uh, that, to do that? That's it? right. Yeah. 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 Uh, or a qualified uh, investor. If yes. you are, yeah. the answer is yes. If you aren't, no. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, hydrogen fuel cells. Would you put this... Where would you put this if you were to put it anywhere on your desk here? Yeah, so I haven't done enough work there. It's, plug, in, it's interesting. He's asking about plug power. Plug power is, I actually know this company a little bit. It's, it's very small. Yeah. Uh, and 
but they are um, they are a leader in that, um, and I, I don't know the TAM. It's, man, uh, you, you, so you, here's I'm, one. I'm getting lucky. The last two days, I had uh, two of the smartest guys I know use the three words that nobody ever uses. I don't know. Love it. Uh, that's awesome, Mark. In um, in the repeatable part of your framework, the science and alchemy behind the VEM model. I guess they're calling this the VEM model now. Okay. Um, there's we'll, a V and E we'll and M. Trademark that. What <laughs> quantitative metrics are you examining? Uh, what what quantum, quantitative metrics are you using to examine the transition between the V and the E and the M? Yeah. So the the V, the E, and the M. Those the those dotted lines are reasonably arbitrary, right? So it it's a framework. It's, more. it's a it's a framework of understanding the the dynamic of the company and its competitors in relation to the addressable market, the TAM that they're going yep. after, right? So, so the, the metrics that you use are the same, right? So it's what does success look like if they get there, right? Now let's model that out as far as we can with confidence. And you don't go beyond three to four years. That would surprise a lot it's of people. It's really cool. hard because it's hard to, to have any degree of confidence. So we can dream and imagine yep. what that could be five or ten years from now. But that's not an investable decision, right? Mm -hmm. That's a, well, maybe two years from now, you still have three or four or yeah. more years beyond that. Isn't that the coolest thing? Like, yeah. the, the, you guys effectively created boutique growth investing at Jensen. And you're yeah. going to say, I'm not going to really model out beyond three years. Whereas some people are there like, well, I have a 10 to 20 year view on this. And the guys yeah. who are the best at it have the sobriety and humility, effectively, to yeah. say, I'm not going to go beyond three years for now. It's hard. That's, that's hard. tough. That's right? really hard. I mean, maybe in the like, drug companies. But one of the things that's, that's interesting as you think about this framework, near the bottom, all of the traditional valuation metrics that we all use all the time, you know, PE or you know, you know, EV to EBITDA, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter much. Um, what matters down there are the answers to the big three questions. Right? Size of TAM, likelihood that this company moves up and gets it, yep. and what's it look like when you get there. As you move up that curve now, valuation begins to matter a lot more yep. because you're now starting to run out of room, mm -hmm. right? Till you get eventually to the top, like this Texas Roadhouse example, where there's not a lot of room left, right? And yet you're still priced for much growth. Yeah, and now, now you can put quantitative bands on that. Howard Penny would say, if a right. casual dining restaurant like Texas Roadhouse is trading north of 10 to 12 times EBITDA, yeah. That's as high as it can go when it's a growth company. Right. I mean, maybe it's a hyper-growth company. Chipotle traded a higher multiple. But there are bands that have been defined quantitatively as to where the market is not going to pay up for a company that's slowing. Yeah. You, that's you don't know until it starts to slow. That's exactly right. right. Is, is one answer to this question, and, and the way I think about it, or yeah. at least the way I try to teach my analysts, is if the revenue growth rate continues to accelerate, yeah. then you know what you needed to know. I, I'd like to know that <clears throat> more than I need to know the multiple of the stock. Amazon was always an expensive stock. Yeah. But when when was it that the company's growth rate started you know, to accelerate? So that, that tells you that's a big clue into two big things, right? So if they're a the growth rate needs to be high when it's near the bottom, meaning like north of twenty percent high. Yeah, um, year over year growth rate, the year, rate of change. Year over year growth rate. I'll be damned. Um, the growth investors care about rate of change. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Trademark that too. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, so the, a fast growth rate and an accelerating growth rate that is fast tells you two things. Uh, it tells you that the TAM is big. Yeah. Right? Because they're growing really fast because this market is so desirous of whatever it is they're providing right. uh, that they can grow real fast. And it also tells you that they're, you know, if everyone else is not quite growing as fast, 
that they seem to be moving up the curve faster mm -hmm. and maybe will be one of those that make it up there and win. Yep. Okay. Um, Mark, in terms of where you start with the process, yes. do you generally find that your best ideas start with identifying a big theme and then finding the companies within the theme or the other way around? Or, yeah. or neither? Yeah, it's, it's both. It, it truly is it's both. both. So sometimes you, you, know, you find just an individual company that um, you, you came across it in a, at a conference or a report that says that's interesting. Why? Is like plug power. You, wow. Uh, yeah. Somebody's pitching you on it. You come across that, it. You right. meet with the company. Yeah. And, you know, but in general, you see, okay, electric vehicles. I can see this going from 1.5% you know, of vehicles, roughly, today to 10% in 10 years or some, somewhere along that, and, and, and a lot more beyond that. Um, that's a theme. Yep. Now, how do I invest in that? Right? Okay. So, so it's both. It's okay. both. Uh, how do you identify market trends that lead to increasing or decreasing TAMs? Yeah. Because I assume, <laughs> I mean, this is implying that the TAM can change. It can initially be considered high, and then it's yeah. lower than what you thought, so, or it can be higher than what you thought. I mean, yeah. So TAMs, they, they do change, and often they change because of what a company does. And I think one of the best examples was Amazon. Right, so Amazon. A company perpetuates its own tent. Well, they they created new ones. Right? So I mean, what's what's interesting is like this is what growth companies do, and people it depends on your framework of thinking about them. But so we all think about that economic pie, right? That you know when we talk about companies trying to get pieces of that economic pie, growth companies that's not what they're trying to do. They're making new pies. Right? They're just saying, I don't want to steal your market share. I want to create a whole new market. Exactly. Just before. And so Amazon is you know, the prototypical example of that. And if you think of the origins of that company, the TAM was books and CDs selling you through the website. Right? That was not a huge TAM. Right? But then you can say, it's when well, the stock struggled. It is when the stock <laughs> But then they said, oh, wait, we're going to sell everything. Um, TAM, much bigger. Yeah. Right? But what was fascinating, when you think about a new TAM, is Amazon Web Services. Right, so here's an example of a company saying, we're really good at this thing called cloud computing because we need it to run our business. Um, maybe we could do this for other people too. Yep. Uh, and of course, they, they were the catalyst that created the cloud computing that we know today. That TAM is arguably bigger than their core TAM. Mm -hmm. um, and so that business within Amazon, you know, that could be worth and that's, and that's really when the Amazon multiple really blew the shorts out of the that's water, exactly is when right. they didn't realize they had Amazon services yeah. uh, underneath the hood and that that growth rate ripped. That's exactly I mean, right. And, and uh, it's, it's, it, that was cool to see. Um, Mark, can you please comment on your biggest mistake or mistakes, what you learned and how you avoid making those mistakes again in the future? Thank you kindly, Jeff. I think that's a, that's a good question. <clears throat> yeah, that's question. a fair question. So Every time when I make big mistakes, it's usually um, thinking of the art side of the process, and it's getting one of the big three questions wrong. Uh, so, oh, really? So yeah. it's like your initial premise is just wrong. Because, again, this is the art, right? It's judgment, right? And so judgment is based on experience and pattern recognition, trial and error. Uh, and so you see, you, you go through this process, and you see things like you one way, and it turns out they're not that way. <laughs> and, so, um, and then you live Can't with... Can't imagine that ever and, happened. And, you know, and this is when I talk about, you know, the judgment is driven by experience. Experience comes with scars, right? <laughs> you earn those, you know, and you're very proud of those scars. But I think of a, of a, of a well, fun one now, I can laugh about it, um, was 3D printing, right? So back in 13 and 14, I was very interested as I, as I thought this TAM was massive 
much sooner than than it turned out to be in reality okay. of what that industry would. So I you know I own Stratasys and 3D systems, um, and the if you look at the stock charts, it looks like a sine curve. <laughs> it went, went up and down because what, you want an S, not a sign. <laughs> you don't want the, the end of it because the stocks are priced for a TAM that I thought was legitimate and yeah. real, and they weren't able to address all you know the manufacturing piece, mm -hmm. you know, going into different metals, um, being able to just produce additively as opposed to you know the old way, whether injection molding or subtractively, taking away something from what you're trying to make versus building it you know molecule by yeah. molecule. Um, and so there's an example where I thought the TAM was was X, but it turns out it was X you know, divided by 70%. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's an, you know, this is where, where you make the mistakes. Um, or you make the mistake of a company that isn't going to be the one to go up and get, get there. How much um, time do you usually have when you make a mistake? Like, is it quarterly that you have a chance to recalibrate? Yeah, that, that's right. So, I mean, what, so what happens is you're getting signposts along the way, and every data point you get is helping to frame sort of that path that that company is moving. And so as, as the company is moving along there, they'll report earnings and uh, you'll get results or you'll hear a competitor talk. And each of those data points gives you more confirmation or less confirmation that those assumptions yep. that you're building into are either correct or, or not correct. Uh, and sometimes it's dramatic, right? You see you know, some companies where you know, the results are so different than what you expected um, and the stock results are also dramatic mm -hmm. when that happens. So we have this in common as well. I mean, I'm bean counting macro data points. What quadrant are we in? Yeah. Every day is a new day to change my position. Every day I get a disconfirming or confirming data point That's that right. we're in that quadrant. That's exactly right. You're doing this daily because you're doing your research daily, obviously, right. but yeah. you're also doing quarterly. The company either validates right. where, they're, where you thought they were on the S-curve or not. Yeah. And that's that's just is, I, I guess that's why we we get along because <laughs> there's a data, there's a data dependence to what you do that I think Absolutely. that I, I finally like yeah. I've known you for a long time but but I think you just articulated in the last 50 minutes and unfortunately we have to go but um, you just articulated that and you use the word art but you really do have a repeatable process that r really is refined and quantified that's right yeah and that's um, that's awesome you know I think you're going to do really well with this so. Thank uh, thanks for taking the time to explain it to people. Thanks, Kate. Yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. As a reminder, new Hedgeye subscribers may qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut. Hedgeye Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. This presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. Neither Hedgeye Risk Management nor any individual expressing those opinions and conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.